0: This is philosophy of the people with Ben Burgess and Stephen Bertram. Uh, and this week we're talking about Anne Rand and the movie Midsummer, and dipping in once again, as we did with the ZZEC video into being react YouTubers.
1: Yeah. Uh, ideally the way, the best way to use the medium of YouTube is by reacting to somebody reacting to you. But if that's yeah, not, a, you know, first order one's okay too.
0: We can get there eventually. Um Ben, is Helen Keller real? Like, was that a real thing?
1: Yes. Helen Keller's a real person, yes.
0: But did she really Did she really learn because it seems really I, I can't really imagine how it happened.
1: Yeah, no, I mean it it's a genuinely incredible story. Uh but um the reason that this comes up, just to to give people a a light sprinkling of context, uh is that apparently one of Ayn Rand's uh, favorite movies is the miracle worker, which is about Helen Keller, who is this, um, uh, this, this deaf mute, you know, uh, you know, blind woman who, you know, who like just, uh, in a fairly miraculous way, learned to interact with the, the world and, you know, she and was and, the first
0: person to just chat it out. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, could, uh, read and write eventually and you know all this stuff right uh and so it's a very it's a very um you know i you can see why rand was into this right because because this is uh this is all about you know sort of the you know like willpower right you're overcoming obstacles uh that you know you're taught to do this uh this amazing thing um but uh, the the sort of thing I noted in passing is that I don't, I don't know how much uh, Rand knows about Helen Keller's subsequent life because there's a whole lot there that she wouldn't like uh, that, um, that having, you know, become able to, uh, <laughs> you know, to uh, uh, having been, you know, having been able to, uh, you know, or, uh, yeah, she wasn't mute, but she was blind and deaf, right? That's it. Anyway, um, having been able to, to learn, to, you know, to, to, to read, to interact with the world, everything, uh, she became an adamant socialist. Uh, she, uh, she I was... Think
0: uh, she became a socialist because she's basically the only person in the world to have actually experienced, uh, Rawls' original position.
1: <laughs> yeah, um...
0: <laughs> because she's the only person in the world for who like the veil on, on the world was lifted like as an adult
1: yeah uh I mean if, I guess in the in the Rawls case you know there's there's also you know like you don't know all the first person stuff but you you do know everything else um But, uh, but yeah, right. Like, uh, so, so she was, uh, she was a socialist. She was a wobbly, right. A, you know, member of the industrial workers of the world's militant anti-capitalist labor union. She was a strong supporter of the Bolshevik revolution. So, you know, it's just a little bit funny, uh, that, you know, when I was kind of trying to look for information about Ayn Rand's, uh, taste in movies, that there's this objectivist website that said that the miracle worker about Helen Keller was her favorite movie. Cause like, I've got to think all that would have soured it for her a little bit.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> but a movie she wouldn't like, we think, and I'm convinced, uh, unless, you know, I think the only way she wouldn't, if she is, is if she kind of just missed the point.
1: Yeah is uh is midsummer. Yeah, so so we'll definitely uh we'll definitely get to that. Um but it's uh... Yeah, so so I was thinking uh I was thinking about midsummer uh because uh I actually just recently went went uh I saw midsummer twice when it was in the theaters when it first came out. Uh but um you know not since then and you know I was thinking about it cuz I finally got around to watching something I hadn't seen before ever which is The Wicker Man I actually watched both versions of it um and uh, the 2006 one is is just awful uh, I've, I've only ever you know I'd only ever seen the 20 seconds about the bees uh before uh before last weekend. but uh the the original 1973 one is great and of course it's a uh, it's a pretty Pretty obvious, um, you know. Pretty acknowledged influence uh, on, uh, on 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 right? Like Midsommar even has somebody in a bear suit, which uh, you know, which which seems like a pretty clear nod to uh, to Wicker Man. And uh, and watching the movie got me thinking about it, and and I looked up some um, you know some video essays on, on YouTube as you do about Midsommar to see what people have been saying about it in uh, the years since it uh, it came out. Uh, and and it you know and it occurred to me as I was as I was watching it and as I was watching one of these video essays in particular that uh Ayn Rand you know would have hated this this movie and and the and the the thing that she would have hated for it it for also speaks to why it's a good movie uh and and so yeah to to kind of build up to that case right I, i start talking about you know what kind of little i can tell about uh rand's views towards movies uh which seem to be very you know heavily ideological that you know that that i don't um if she expressed any purely aesthetic movie opinions i don't know about them uh, but everything that i have been able to find is like her favorite movie is the miracle worker. Cause you know, cause see, you know, she's always, if you read her she essay, worked a miracle, yeah. Yeah. She's always going on about how, uh, oh, these ridiculous people who say that like, you know, they didn't make the world and like, they're not responsible for conditions around them when really they should, you know, really they, they should be like heroic strivers, uh, who, um, Uh, who who worked their will on it you know so you can see why she liked that conversely apparently she thought that it's a wonderful life was communist propaganda because uh, it demonized bankers so you know that gives you some some sense of things but you know that that just establishes that she had these very strong ideological uh, reactions to movies but to, to really get to why I think she would have had the ideological reaction to this particular movie that she did before we even get to, you know, what happens in uh, uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it's probably worth, um, you know, taking, um, you know, taking a minute to kind of unpack what she thought, right? Like, like what the, the Ayn Rand worldview is. um since basically my sense of this is that a lot of people do have like a slightly caricatured idea of what it was, but honestly the real thing isn't much better than the caricature. Um, so, you know, she, she makes a big deal about saying uh, that, you know, like, you know, philosophy is called objectivism. And so it's, it's all about something, something, objective reality, something, something. Uh but you know, I'm I'm pretty skeptical that she honestly knows enough about the sort of interestingly debatable issues about metaphysics or epistemology to like even succeed in saying anything uh controversial enough.
0: It's, it's funny that she was kind of emphasizing her belief in objective reality. Before even like the big dramas of of relativism and and postmodernism and so on in like half of the twentieth century,
1: uh-huh.
0: he was a farcier in her own uh, weird way.
1: Yeah, right. Like like who was the who was the opponent, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs>
0: she she was fighting. A, well, you know, fighting a right wing war against like. A, a, I mean, they're currently fighting a right wing war against a straw man, but she was fighting it before they even built the straw man.
1: Yeah, that that is actually that is actually kind of interesting. Um cuz cuz yeah, I mean like that that is an interesting question, right? You know, who's who's the opponent? Like she um you know, she really hated uh you know, she really hated Kant, right? She was, you know, she was massively ahead of the curve on that one. Uh I've I've seen right-wingers talk about, you know, Kant as the um as, like, the source of wokeness or whatever, a couple of times uh, in recent well, years. She, but... she
0: gave birth to this whole thing that where you can, like, track social evilness in, like, a line from Plato to Kant.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, which is interesting because Aristotle is basically the only historical philosopher that she actually likes. Um, so, you know, I guess. The... <laughs>
0: Someone asked on um, Reddit Ask Philosophy once if this rap was a good history of um philosophy and it was an objectivist rapper who was you know tracing the lineage of aristotle the based and plato the cringe
1: okay well you gotta said that over because that that feels like something i have to play on the show <laughs> but uh... <laughs> it was a long time
0: ago i'm probably find it
1: <laughs> um, but but yeah so um so the fact that you know like Kant thinks that in a certain sense, you know, we don't have epistemic access to the things in themselves. Right. Like it's, is something she makes a big deal of, uh, hating. Uh, she, you know, her, her understanding of, um, of like, you know, dialectical materialism is certainly a big, uh, a big enemy there. Cause, cause she thinks they deny that A is a, uh and and so there's there's something there about you know objective reality but yeah you you, you would think that there would be this big like pool of objective reality deniers yeah, yeah. who uh who should be setting herself up in opposition to and it's it's really um you know that that is very strange right but it's like really like certainly at least as a first pass at that stuff um and you know if certainly certainly i actually read a bunch of read or reread a bunch of her essays to to write this so i i have i have to take a little break but uh if if somebody you know if anybody thinks that i'm missing something more interesting she said about these subjects i'm prepared to read like one or two more of these essays in like a month so you know so email me then (laughs) but um but like certainly if you go to like the ayn Rand encyclopedia online which is this you know sort of uh assembly of you know quotes from her on on different subjects in alphabetical order lovingly arranged by her disciples and you read the ones on epistemology and metaphysics in there i mean there's just nothing there i mean like that it's just uh she says uh um, you know basically she says yeah objective reality exists and we could know some stuff about it right and congratulations on that that was a very brave stand that you that you took uh, by saying that uh but you know I'm, I'm fairly sure that the you know pretty crushingly overwhelming majority of people who've ever lived have thought both of those things you know included a smaller majority granted but still a majority of people who've written about philosophy uh have have thought both of those things and it's and it's just not that interested, right? Like like very little that's sort of um controversial follows from any of that, right? So so I think my possibly uncharitable gloss on this is that, you know, by and large the, you know, objective reality is real, A is A stuff. Um you know, oh yeah, she, everything's identical to itself. That's that's also another I didn't say you know, base
0: when I read that.
1: Uh, it's another important Ayn Rand insight. And you know, I'd say the essay it's like the amazing thing about all this is that she just every time she's talking about what like analytic philosophers would call Emini, right? Metaphysics and epistemology, um every time she touches on these subjects, like just the tone really makes it sound like she's gone into the main square of the capital city of a totalitarian dictatorship to like take out a bullhorn and tell the truth about the leader until some, you know, men in black swoop in and take her away or maybe shoot her where she stands, <laughs> but like up aside all
0: she's saying
1: yeah, all she's saying is that stuff is identical to itself, objective reality is real, uh, we can know stuff about it, it's like, yeah, okay I, I really don't think that's as controversial as you think it is, but put it all that aside um, in fact, uh, you know, I think that uh I think that there's um like you know, like she's she's getting she's making a big deal of like Aristotle pointing out many of these things and um you know, you know who who uh was like even a lot of the people she would think of as heredimes were uh were very, very appreciative of like Aristotle's writings about the these things. People <clears throat> like Hegel and Engels and, you know, Lenin, right. You know, uh, has, uh, this is Chris, Chris, uh, Skibara, I think so. you pronounce his last name. I uh, wrote a essay actually the day after this one came out that was responding to the dialectic stuff I'd done a while ago. And he has, uh, he, you know, he like assembles some of these quotes for these guys about Aristotle, which is why it's in my head. But in any case, my general suspicion, is that the the Emoni, right? The non-normative philosophy in Ayn Rand is pretty much just window dressing. It's there to sort of um, help lend this sort of aura of profundity to uh, what she actually cares about. Oh, yeah, and I which guess lend
0: an aura of being you know, like the only straight talker.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right, me. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That It's like everybody else. Right. You know, other than like Aristotle and her, everybody else is, is trying to sell you some kind of fantastical bullshit that, you know, detaches from uh, objective reality. But, you know, she's here to recognize the obvious truths. And there's some vague implication that once you recognize those obvious truths, you have to agree with the moral political philosophy for some reason. Uh, she's very down on, on Hume for saying that uh, there's a gap between facts and values. Although like just about everybody else who's very down on this. Um, she doesn't really have a coherent objection uh, to, uh, to that point. But, uh, but yeah, I, I mean the, the normative stuff is, is really where the, the Ayn Rand action is. Cause look, I mean, credit where credit's due. That's at least where she's saying things that are interesting enough to be be controversial. Um,
0: yeah, she really is fighting the world on these points.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and, um, and so if you read this stuff, so like there's a uh, there's like a short collection of her harass- I mean you know, a lot of this is presented through the novels. She's the kind of novelist who, um, there's never the slightest doubt about who's speaking Ayn Rand's thoughts in the novel. So, uh, so really you can just read those, but uh, she, she has this, uh, this pretty thin essay collection called the virtue of selfishness uh, that, you know, I'd, I'd read some of before and I went back and read a bunch of it to, to write this. And, And in there, uh, I mean, the the title says it all, right? Uh, But she's on one level very concerned to, I mean, you know, she wants it a couple of different ways, right? She enjoys the shock value of that phrase, the virtue of selfishness, and she likes the sort of reaction that people have to it, right? She She wants them to have that reaction, right? It's a little bit like, you know, so it's like given that, like the sort of complaining about people interpreting in the obvious way, it always feels a little bit like, you know, I don't know, like, uh, like if you're an Anton LaVey kind of Satanist and, you know, and you're always like, oh, see, people think we worship the devil. It's like, yeah, it's because you call yourself a Satanist. Like, if you didn't want people to think that, you should have picked a different name. <laughs> like, uh, what do you expect? <laughs> so there is there is a little bit of that. Uh, but, but I also think there's some genuine ambiguity in there her view right since um you know she has she has a sort of way of distancing what she thinks from what that phrase suggests but also at the end of the day how much distance is there really Eh. (laughs) right like um,
0: you say she keeps nearly just being like a straight aristotelian
1: yeah, exactly. So, uh so I mentioned Roderick Long who's, you know, who's somebody who unlike Ayn Rand actually does know a bunch of stuff about the history of philosophy, uh but who has a vastly more charitable uh reading of Rand than I do. And uh and he talks about how there's this kind of um like Rand's notion of selfishness is ambiguous and you know it has what he calls there's like a sort of hobbesian side to it and an aristotelian uh side to it uh in other words there's a there's an aspect to it that really kind of is what it sounds like uh but then like there's an aspect to it where like basically whenever she wants to run away from what it sounds like sort of gets very aristotelian is very like well the sort of um you know the real um you know somebody's just like Robbing and you know and and raping and pillaging you know then they they have they have like a irrational understanding of what the good life is uh, and uh, so they're not actually being self interested because they they don't they're not rational enough to understand what their true because they
0: things I don't like <laughs> yeah yeah
1: uh so it, so yeah this is this is the part where where it does it does actually get somewhat Aristotelian uh that you know she she certainly thinks that the sort of you know a a genuinely good life is about sort of um creative activity and 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 this kind of more uh admirable kind of sense of self-realization um but at the end of the day like even once you sort of move away from the more caricatured stuff, other people still kind of don't count, right? right? Like it's, it's, you know, other people's interests just don't need to be taken into account like on their own account. Right. Like they, they, they sort of um, if, you know, you might have some reason why particular other people matter to you or, you know, at, at her, at the moments where she edges closest to acknowledging sort of any kind of normal notion of uh moral responsibility to other people, you know, maybe all other people matter a little bit and we could do some wordplay to show why that's actually selfish, but like, uh, that like does verge on social contract stuff. But, um, but, but basically she, she really doesn't think, that they count so so like i don't know years ago um actually one of the f- first episodes of my show certainly within like the first dozen or so i think um, i did a debate with this guy uh euron brook who's uh i think is or was the the chairman of the board of the ayn rand institute um and and he you know he certainly um he certainly embraced that like quite explicitly. So, uh, and like the the example, you know, um, you know, the example that I think draws it out nicely is it's like, okay, look, you can, um, yeah, if you're just like stealing and raping and all that, then that's not uh, the sort of properly understood rational uh, self-interest. And there are points where she really does seem to want to sneak in some libertarian property rights that really do seem like um really do seem like obligations to other people. But uh but uh if you you know yeah, you should like, you know, you should develop your own talents and capacities and you know, and, and sort of pursue greatness. She's very like one of her examples in one of these essays is about like um you know, somebody like a young man, uh, who, um, who, you know, she's almost always, uh, it's always, 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 always men. in in, uh, in Rand's examples, for whatever reason, a uh, young man who's, um, uh, who, who doesn't pursue the career that he's really going to be good at. Cause he's going to go into the family business to please his parents. Right. That's bad. Right. Uh, cause you're not, uh, you're not developing, you know, your, your potential, but like, look, if we put, you know, if we did like a 1% tax on the highest incomes uh, to in order to pay for everybody to go to college so everybody could develop their talents, et cetera, like that's something I actually brought that up to your own Brook, and that's something that's like the kind of thing that sort of I think like very quickly draws out that's like, no, other people really seriously do not fucking matter, right? Like they, she has, um, you know, like one of the examples where she's trying to do her, you know, gymnastics to show that, um, you know, that this is the sort of brute beast that people think of when they hear phrases like the virtue of selfishness, that that's, you know, that that's, that's not it. Um, is, uh, that, you know, a man who, uh, who might like, spend all the money he has in the world to uh, to save the life of the woman he loves because he knows, he'll, you know, or maybe even die in the process, right? Because he knows he's not going to, uh, you know, and that that's okay, right? That's actually acceptably selfish because he knows that he'll be so miserable uh, if she dies that, you know, that that makes it like worth it to him. But she explicitly says, um, look, this is, and don't we admire this man more than somebody who would be doing the, you know, actually unselfish thing, which is using the same amount of money to save, you know, several other women who, that, you know, who, who don't mean anything to him. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not really. And, and, uh, and, and just the idea that's like, okay, but like, we could, you know, follow me here. We, we, we could just like, collect some money from this man and every other, you know, every other man woman, you know, through, through taxation. And good point, Logan. A,
0: man, That's bad.
1: We could just have a healthcare You're system. You're doing this to rich home. people. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and, and that's, and yeah. And so it's, it's like ultimately, um, you know, she's, and she even, I don't know, she's very weird on like, uh, like, like whether we ever really have, you know, it's ever like good or virtuous to like help random people. Uh, she sort of wants to have it both ways on, because uh, she's like, look, if there's an emergency going on, like somebody's, you know, about to burn to death or something, then you know, then maybe, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's kind good. Of
0: like, it, it's strange that if her only thing is kind of self-fulfillment. And it, it, can't, yeah. it can't really be the case that she doesn't just say, you know, do what you will. It must yeah. have a very particular idea of, like, the correct subject that all persons ought to be willing towards.
1: Yeah, right. So the fact that she's not willing to to say do what you will, that's the whole of the law, is um, – you know the the only reason she's not saying that, given everything else she says, is that she thinks that people can just be be wrong. I mean, and, you know, about what their interests are. That like that it's. I mean, I guess this is this is the thing that like you know maybe I I think when she when she goes on and on about objective reality, it's like to the extent that she's talking about like the ex- an external world existing, in, which is the way she presents it a lot of times, then it's very boring because everybody thinks that. But, um, but I think oftentimes there's like the slippage that she's sort of getting that like, Oh, this thing would be obviously silly to deny. And really what she's building in is, Oh, here's some other objective facts that there are, you know, here's what's like objectively in your interests. And, um, and you're just wrong. Right? If you don't think so, you know, you're not being rational if you don't think so, which is why you know you you know she has this um like maxim about how the interests of rational men never come into conflict, um, which uh, I remember in Corey Robin's book, The Reactionary Mind. I'm sure, that uh, happens in it,
0: business like a billion times a day
1: yeah right exactly right so uh so it's it it seems it seems nutty to say that that's not the case uh and she you know she has a lot of moves that she makes to sort of try to, to 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 wiggle out of this that you know like but i i think that what it really amounts to is that every time we encounter an obvious, you know, counterexample. We just like ascend to a higher level of abstraction. So we're, we're not thinking about the concrete case where it clearly does happen. Um, yeah. Like, like I remember, yeah, the Corey Robin line about this is that this is just sort of um, this is like the Rand equivalent of like a statement of faith and providence. Right. That's uh, you know, it's, it's just all going to work out for some strange reason. Uh, so, so all of which, Is to say that Rand wants to, you know, she, even though I think she is a bit conflicted and she's not willing to go full Aleister Crowley about it, but uh, she, you know, so she does have this kind of escape hatch strategy of like when it starts to feel a little too monstrous. Right. You go, you know, you lean into the Aristotelian side of her views and how people can be mistaken about their self-interest. But also basically fucking it's a wonderful life is like too, too much because of the altruism. Right. Like that's the uh, you know, you basically think like and even as conflicted as she is about like she's sort of a little slippery about whether you even, you know, whether it's even like good and virtuous, like save people from burning buildings. And she says, yeah, that might be okay. And she has all these reasons to think that that might be a a good thing to do. But she's also very clear that just like poverty isn't, uh, isn't on that list. Right. That, um, that, you know, that you shouldn't be spending your life, you know, trying to try to help those people. Right. So so she does, she does want not just the shock value of saying that uh, selfishness is virtue and all of that, but that she genuinely does want to like draw all sorts of controversial moral and political conclusions uh, from, from this, right. That, you know, that you should, you know, that it's, it's, it's good and proper that, you know, basically all your, you know, all you care about is, is, is your own individual fulfillment and sure um you know we can put some constraints on what counts as individual fulfillment but but a lot of her examples are driven by a very like intuitive common sense kind of idea of what of what individual fulfillment uh would would be that they that it's um that it's all about um that you know that the sort of like yeah you know that you're sort of Living up to your potential, you're living the best version of your life, right? So, all of that I think puts enough in place <laughs> that um, that we can kind of uh, we can kind of get to. You know, I, I saw you said in the uh, in the t- in the description uh, on YouTube for this video that we that uh, this was going to be an episode about white women. <laughs> 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 so one of those is I rant. But the other one is uh, Danny and Midsomar. So um, how do you want to do this? It's, uh, it's I, I, like did, I just a... find
0: the uh, objectivist history of philosophy rap, by the way, if you want to play that at the end of the show.
1: Oh, my God, yes. Yes, let's definitely play that at the end of the show.
0: Um I mean do you wanna do you wanna just introduce kind of the, the framing of this this video essay just for like a minute and then we can play yeah. this the the two kind of bits.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. So um so so yeah look anybody who didn't see Midsomar or 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 you know it's been a very long time um you know it's you know it's a movie about you know the the main character Danny goes through this awful traumatic experience at the beginning of the movie uh her uh her like disturbed sister does a murder suicide thing with her parents uh it's a really bleak beginning um and then um you know she ends up going along with her boyfriend who was about to uh break up you know who was like getting close to the point of breaking up with her uh when this happened but of course he can't uh you know like he's not gonna break up with her right as she's going through this like awful you know unreal trauma uh that uh and she ends up going you know she ends up kind of tagging along with him and uh his grad school buddies and anybody who's you know it's a person who went to graduate school and have a i uh it made it interesting to watch because there are some recognizable people here, but uh, and, uh, he, uh, he gets up, you know, and these are all, you know, not flattering portrayals of of what these people are like. Um, And so she ends up, you know, tagging along with her boyfriend and his grad school buddies to, uh, to go to Sweden where one of them's, uh, you know, comes from the, uh, this sort of hippie, neo-pagan, Uh, compound uh, where um, a commune kind of place where uh, where he grew up and you know the the grad students are like anthropologists so this is gonna be really interesting for them to study it and wouldn't you know it uh, turns out to be a murderous cult and um, by the the end of the movie uh, you know and I think some of what we'll watch we're gonna get a much more fine-grained description of it than this right but it's like basically by the end of the movie, uh, she, Danny, is assimilated uh, into uh, into the cult, uh, and and it's not. But it's not just a sort of like glassy eyed loss of her perspective or whatever. This is actually played in a pretty convincing way in the movie as personal fulfillment that that she's that she's um, that uh, that she's gone through this awful thing and she, she really needs family and this provides family and she's also using them as a way of of settling accounts in, uh, in her own life and um, and so the the part of the video essays, is, this is from the Terraformed uh, YouTube channel uh, and it's called something like Where Midsommar Discourse Goes Wrong or What It Misses or something like that and uh, and so the part that we're not going to watch, there's a lot about um, how. Um, yeah, I feel bad. The guy says i got to rent this movie. If, if you want to pause this this video, will still be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I don't yeah.
0: stop watching. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, fine, but, it's fine. It's
0: fine to go off us.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, but um but, but he the part of the video identifies
0: of, in this video essay that a lot of kind of online critique or like barely Kansas critique kind of engages yeah. with these movies to be like, was she right to do this?
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, and so, so yeah, in other words, there's, because there's like a certain kind of movie discourse that's become very popular in the last you know decade or two, especially, and you know, whatever I'm, sure has always existed in one way or another, but I I think the, um, I I think is, is sort of inescapable now. Uh, It's all over the place that, um, that kind of reads every movie as a very straightforward morality tale where you're supposed to, uh, to, to, to root for the people who are completely right and, uh, and, and have. uh,
0: Did did she she snap when she uh, (laughs) murdered a Sacrificed her boyfriend.
1: You know, boo and hiss at the people who are completely bad, and 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 that's the level at which your reaction should take place. So the way that that the way that that plays out with regard to Midsomar is that it's it's either um, it's either uh, Yas Queen uh, that this is wonderful, uh, slay it, it's so in, good in very
0: literal terms.
1: <laughs> you know, very literally slay, right? It's 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 good that you uh, that you use the murder cult uh to uh to to kill your boyfriend right, actually, right? students uh, anyway <laughs> that's that's a wonderful thing that's admirable or uh oh my God, she's terrible there's no sense in which what's going on here is a happy ending for her because um it would be troubling to to hold two thoughts in your head at the same time. Uh, and, and we don't we can't have that. And so in in what we're going to watch the two, you know, it's longer than what we're going to we're willing to watch right now. But, um, you yeah, know, you should watch the whole thing. It's there's a there's a it's embedded in the in the essay. It's a fun video. But um, but I, I think we're going to watch first some, you know, what what they do is they basically say, look. And this I totally agree with. We're going to get to the disagreement in a moment. But right. This I totally, totally agree with. They say hey, um, maybe stories are more complicated uh, than uh, than you guys seem to think. You know, maybe, in fact, some of the power of this story comes from the fact that a couple of different things that it's fair to have different reactions to are going on at the same time. So, uh, so yeah, we're going to watch the first few minutes of the section called One Way of Looking at It.
2: Midsummer is presented through Danny's protagonized perspective. We'll start by observing through her lens. The very first image we're shown pretty blatantly transmits to us the story that's about to unfold for Danny. And like the tone of the movie itself, it has a fairy tale veneer to it: the princess chained down by a dark and tragic fate, only to be ultimately released and replenished by the good people of a bright and shiny faraway land. And this showing of the tracks and the destination before the train has even left the station yet ties into a little theme we discussed in my last video on Bo is Afraid, a movie that also came from the totally stable mind of a fun-loving family man named Ari Aster. Out of the three movies he's written and directed thus far, Hereditary, *Midsummer*, and Bo is Afraid, each one expresses, in some way or another, the philosophy of determinism the idea that human beings don't really possess the agency and free will they may think they possess but unlike hereditary and bo it's far more debatable if the outside forces guiding our protagonist's path are a net positive or a net negative for her overall well-being because unlike her unlucky group of so-called friends danny reaches her endpoint alive and seemingly happier than ever and since we're committing to this whole flower princess fairy tale perspective let's roll with it because as the movie begins by steeping us into Danny's depression.
0: So that, that's the, the one way to look at it, which is her, her from the, the tight point of view of Danny.
1: Yeah. And, and if you watch the whole thing, um, they, they do a good job of going through like the sort of detailed events of the movie and showing how things look from that point of view and how, if you are, you know very tightly in her point of view uh is this actually this actually is a uh this actually is a story of self-fulfillment that's a that, happy you know, story bro we... with a happy ending <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly and uh doesn't sound like it but they make a good case in those 10 minutes so now we're going to do the another way of looking at it
2: Back from our emotional connection to Danny and taking a more logical look with a healthy dose of basic morality, the Harga come off less like happy fairy folk Danny saviors, and more like deranged whack-job Danny brainwashers, there's a difference. And the latter may earn them the reward for most casually fucked up horror villains in recent memory. From this perspective, the Harga may have conveniently triggered Danny to recognize her trauma and unaddressed needs, but their so-called healing through the witnessing and integrating of death comes off more like an excuse for some serious sadism. They're less healing Danny of that dark poison inside of her, and more showing her how to become one with its sickness, and therefore one with them. Display it proudly in the light, rather than flush it out with the light. You lost your sister and parents to a horrific death. So let us show you how to make death and mutilation as mundane as taking out the trash. This is sure to.
1: Yeah. So, um, again, we're only getting very small snippets here, but uh, but the everything that is in the one way to look at it section of the video, I think it's like, yeah, that's correct, right? That's that's the that that is how the movie is portraying Danny's perspective uh, on, on this stuff at all. It all makes its own uh, it's all makes its own sort of sense. And by and large, everything in the um, another way to look at it section is, is also right. Right. That they, that, that like, as they say, from a more detached logical point of view, um, this is a evil uh, death cult. And and
0: it was actually interesting because in in at least that clip, the way the uh, video essay person was framing it, it was also seemingly in terms of her kind of fulfillment, not being a true fulfillment. And
1: that's, and that's where I get off the bus because um, in fact, in the, in the first bit we watched, Right. They, you know, the the way that they framed the difference between the, the, the different perspectives, they used the phrase overall well-being uh, <laughs> and, uh, and said, uh, no comment. Uh, it's that, not even uh, that long, uh, so. Yeah. Uh, you know, they used the phrase overall well-being and said the difference between these two perspectives was about how the events of the movie, like, sort of um, – you know, like like what whether this was a positive in terms of her overall well being, uh, and then you see in the snippet uh, we watched of the second perspective that uh, that it's it's all about uh, they they keep saying well it okay so they're showing the trauma and unaddressed issues and it seems like there's healing but it's not really healing and. And as I was watching it, and, you know, and even though, again, at at the right level of abstraction, I completely agree with their point, that there is, that the sort of, um, that that there are two things going on here, that it's natural to have very different reactions to, and in fact, a lot of the power and creepiness of this as a, you know, high-end folk horror flick uh, comes from the way those two are clashing in your head as a viewer, I think that's totally right, but... What my frustration came from as I was watching it was that it's like that whole framing. It's like, look, is her overall well-being the only question here? Right. Right. Is that the <laughs> is that the only issue? Um, like, does it have to be the case that she's not really healed? uh you know, on a in terms of her own internal psychological drama. Yeah. Like, it's, for he's like
0: with an injection of basic morality, but then doesn't go on to say murder is bad but goes on to say a cult is brainwashing you into thinking that murder is good or something like this as if that's the problem as opposed to the actual
1: things which are happening yeah exactly right it's like i i think that it could be the you know like the thing that they're assuming is in there is um is this very uh this very ayn randish conflation of individual well-being with morality that uh that you know this is that like you live in your own your best life your overall well-being is the same question as like what it's morally virtuous for you to do and like look it's nice when those two things coincide but there's no like metaphysical guarantee that they always have to Uh, like i i don't doubt for a moment, right? You think about all of the... Right, I mean, um, unless
0: you believe this this Randian thing that rational men never clash or whatever.
1: Yeah, Even yeah, if yeah. it's always what?
0: good to be self-fulfilled, it's always going to be the case at least some of the time that different people are going to come into conflict about this self-fulfillment.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that, like, this is a really nice, vivid example of uh of why that assumption is wrong because again everything in that 10 minutes that we played like the first minute of of you know one way to look at it right that part of the video is correct right i think that the the movie is vividly portraying a set of circumstances in which uh joining an evil cult and using it to murder somebody would actually be good for your individual well-being but without the assumption that your individual well-being is the beginning and end of morality, I'm not uh, – th- there's nothing. We don't need to uh, – It could we could just say, like, yes, even if you actually are being healed, it's not false healing, it's not whatever, you are genuinely being healed of what ails you. Given that you are not the only person who matters – uh and everybody else's interests count too, uh what you're doing could still be very, very, very bad. Right. right? I,
0: like a, there's not a lot of healing otherwise in the film.
1: Yeah. I <laughs> I I I mean this this isn't um and that's not like that's that's all compatible. I mean it you know if you think about um like look I, I have no doubt whatsoever that If you think about, um, you know, if you think about all of the, like, militaries that have uh, been used to wage unjust wars and committed terrible war crimes or whatever, look, there are lots of people whose own story of, like, joining the military and being, you know, like, that they have is, in fact, a story of self-fulfillment. There are people who, you know, get, like, PTSD and it destroys their lives and everything, but not everybody, Right. Some people actually do, um, you know, it's like the U S army recruitment commercial slogan, you know, be all that you can be right. There right. are, there are people who that is actually their experience and uh, and, and they actually do grow as people, the, the camaraderie with their fellow soldiers. And the <laughs> yeah, like I, and I very much want to
0: try and avoid framing my war experience in these terms, despite the fact <laughs> that it is literally very true.
1: <laughs> yeah right of course right and it's like look you you know you were lucky enough to actually be on the right side but like this there's, there's no there's no reason why um there's but you, you know, know i could
0: have been on the right side and ended, up, and ended up very unfulfilled
1: yes you could have been on the right side and had a set of experiences such that like it destroyed you uh you also could have been on the wrong side and you know given that you had the right attitudes etc Right? Like, you know, uh you you could have you could have similarly had had that kind of you know subjective experience of the whole thing. That there's not and it's it's not um it seems entirely possible that you know that there I I don't doubt for a moment that like there you know there are soldiers in the Wehrmacht, right, who Yeah, who I mean, had, that's uh, why I always
0: I always thought with like kind of um self-fulfillment based philosophy. I always just imagine like a, a Panzer division driving across the steppe, and those guys <laughs> yeah. have been having like so much fun. they must have felt like right. like gods and kings, but they were doing the worst thing that's ever happened,
1: yeah, but like look, it could be that you know I mean, I'm sure that you know all oh, there's so many there are so many there's so many soldiers in the Wehrmacht. I'm sure you could find some uh who. You know we could tell a compelling and accurate story about their lives that was all about you know the the you know traumas they'd had before the war and the fears that they had to overcome you know and they and i mean lo- lots uh, of these
0: books do exist unfortunately
1: yeah uh, fair enough <laughs> <laughs> uh okay yeah uh so like and i'm sure look i'm sure there are lots of them that tell accurate individual stories that there are people for whom uh you know serving in uh in the you know in the military of of the um you know like the the most evil regime you know i think relative to the time that it existed you know that's that that's ever been right you know uh was in fact an amazing experience that that was good for their well-being. I mean, I mean,
0: the philosopher, talks about his, um, you know, self-fulfillment in World War One, which might have been the yeah. least, on average, self-fulfilling war <laughs> ever.
1: But you know, all those millions of soldiers, uh, there's, there's bound to be some uh, who uh, who come come out of it that way. Uh, yeah, so so we could, if you really wanted to uh you know you could make a move here where you really insisted that uh no you know that's that's not um that doesn't really serve oh my god yeah no there are i'm actually you know um i went for the nazis just just out of out of laziness because they're the sort of uh they're the sort of um automatic go-to consensus example of, of, of very evil right but like to be honest when i was saying it what i was immediately thinking of is like clips that i've seen of like soldiers in gaza you know uh like celebrating together and you know and all this stuff uh since uh, since the war started um and uh and yeah like you know you you could if you wanted um tell you know tell a story about this where you know you sort of conceptually massaged everything to show that no, no 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 that you know the 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 uh the happy Nazi who's experienced breakthroughs and gotten over his trauma and felt fulfillment in the courage and camaraderie that doesn't count as real well being right on an individual level and I'm sure you could like find ways to massage things to like make that story work. But honestly it seems to me a lot more honest and plausible to just say, yeah, sure, maybe sometimes that is good for you as an individual, but since you're not the only individual in the universe who matters, uh, that doesn't it doesn't follow for me that it's good for you as an individual that it's good morally to you know serve in the Wehrmacht or to join the Harga Death Cult in you know Midsommar. Or, or any of these things, right? We, sh- we should be able to uh, to separate out these questions. And I think you could, I think the sort of core point that was being made in the terraformed essay can be reformulated along those lines. And they're still right, right? In, in fact, it, it's made much more smoothly. It's like, look, from a tight Danny POV where all we're interested in is her individual well-being, this is a happy story. From a more detached perspective with as they say an injection of basic morality this is a very grim story right and um and in fact i think a lot of what makes it emotionally effective a lot of what makes midsummer an unsettling movie to watch is precisely the the clash of these two facts that that you are very tightly ensconced in this point of view from which you know solipsistically this is a great story but also you are a person and you weren't raised in the Harga Death cult. And so you correctly recognize it as you're watching that what you're seeing is evil and horrified. And and the the clash between those two reactions, because of course individual self-fulfillment is something we care about, something we should care about. But also it's not the only thing we care about. And not being monstrously evil is something that we value too. And I think the the clash of those values is what makes the the movie work. And um and, and I think to kind of I, I think the whole what the movie is really vividly demonstrated is precisely um, is precisely the fact that individual well-being and uh, objective morality do not necessarily always row in the same direction, which is the thing that I ran's entire worldview is premised on not conceding. And so I think anybody with a a good enough antenna, for messages and movies that that, uh, that diverge from a worldview, to uh, to detect it's a wonderful life, as communist propaganda would would be have been very displeased with Midsomar and you know I also think that speaks to why it's a good movie.
0: It's also really funny that it's set in Sweden. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I not even like they didn't even set it in like the far north of Sweden or anything. It's like in the middle. <laughs> like as if there could be like an open air murder suicide cult in just the middle of Sweden.
1: <laughs> yeah, the the fact that this flies under the radar of the the Swedish authorities is really something.
0: I mean, the, I mean, Wicker Man, That was was it set in England? does it set like on the Isle of Man yeah. or something weird?
1: Yeah. So. Um,
0: because England is the only country where it's less plausible.
1: <laughs> like every
0: inch of England is like managed.
1: Yeah, so it's set in uh the original wicker man is set in an island, uh Summer Isle. Um and I think it's like it's a little unclear to me what the status of the island is, because it's it's definitely it's definitely under the jurisdiction of the
0: yeah, UK. Yeah, it's some relation right? to the UK. It's in the British Isles.
1: Yeah, because uh, like a big part of the um, like a big it part of the creepiness. Really the
0: upright or something. The the main character.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, the yeah the cop who's oh, the, so the protagonist. Oh, it's the Hebrides. Is a um like a, a big part of this sort of creepiness of that movie is that like, he keeps on being like, okay, you have to show me such and such. And people will be like, Oh no, well, we're going to need to talk to Lord Summerisle about that. It's like, I'm a policeman. You have to right? like Cause it's, it's just, you know, uh, uncomprehended The six
0: to... one was, I didn't realize they, they put it in America.
1: Uh, they did. Yeah. And it's, it's one of the ways that it ended up making less sense than the original, um, because, uh because in you know i i I mean i don't know a tremendous amount about how policing works in the uk but like i was i was prepared to believe at least as i was watching it that like um whatever it was exactly that he worked for had jurisdiction over uh over you know over this island whereas like in america yeah no, like, um, we, we
0: do have like a i think we have at least one feudal island still the isle of sark
1: Whereas, like, in America, policing is so localized that it's, like, uh, in fact, there are actually, you know, a couple of lines of dialogue where people just say, dude, you know, jurisdiction, what are you doing, right? You know, that's uh, <laughs> and, that's a good point, right? Like, um, but in um, – it's also a weird movie because, okay, uh. Uh, at least a third of the dialogue in the 2006 Wickerman is taken straight from the British original, and some of it makes a lot less sense uh, 33 years later in an American context. That's kind of like, beautiful. That's
0: like almost like some kind of performance art. Like
1: you know, there's a just, point just where making Cage...
0: Nick Cage be a 70 police 70s policeman, <laughs> but he British policeman, but he's in America and it is the 2000s.
1: Yeah, right. Like, he, like there's a line where he refers to to cemeteries and churchyard. It's like an American cop in 2006 is gonna call a cemetery a churchyard. That doesn't sound right. Amazing. Uh, and it's also just like a weird. I don't know. It's like a very low effort version of Wicker Man. They um they have because one uh it's it's a very um like there just seem to be so many fewer people on the island. uh, And so it just makes it a lot less interesting than the original. It's like overflowing with people who are, you know, singing and, you know, fucking in public and doing all these weird pagan rituals that like deeply offend the sensibilities of this, you know, Christian policeman. Uh, Whereas here it's like pretty depopulated. It's like a skeleton crew of these women who are like mostly just kind of going about normal activities and like occasionally there's something creepy and pagan that happens. And, um, and then, uh, but then like the really big thing, uh, I mean, they change it from being sort of seventies free levied to being sort of matriarchal. I, I don't know. They don't really explore it that much, but then like the biggest <laughs> problem the
0: economy of summer isle.
1: Yeah. So we want to know, right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um we actually kinda do know they 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 sell they sell honey in that version, uh the bees, right? They um but um but also like the big problem is that there's just nothing for the paganism to be in friction with in the two thousand six version, because in the nineteen seventy three British one, the whole thing is that this guy is a very strung tight, devout Christian. And if Nicholas Cage's character has any religious beliefs, he never really brings them up. So it's like, you know, I mean, he disapproves of human sacrifice, obviously, but like, other than that, like, I don't really think he's that like worked up one way or the other about how these ladies are living their lives. It's like this is just kind of, um, so it 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 just it like that the sort of main conflict in the original sort of doesn't it's like this weird like. I guess now this really does sound like performance art because it's like big chunks of the original movie are just sort of transposed without the rest of it. And it's just like, I I don't really, I don't don't know. It's like Like, the situationist
0: films where they just redubbed things.
1: Yeah, yeah. The Ken dialectics break bricks, that kind of thing. Have you Um, seen
0: um, Ex Machina?
1: I have. I I like Ex Machina a lot.
0: I was just thinking about it because it's a a film where she kills all the men. And it, you know, it could be a Yas Queen story. But she doesn't do it they <laughs> don't she doesn't really do it because they wronged her. That's not the point of what she does. She does it because it's kind of necessary.
1: Yeah. Um I actually <laughs> Yeah, I I have a um Yeah, so I, I'm a big fan of Ex Machina. I think it's like a really nice combination of like uh, like it somehow manages to be this like big, exciting, very high concept science fiction movie, but also sort of like a one act play. Like they're like with,
0: with three people in it.
1: Yeah, they're like basically three people who have speaking lines in the movie. I think that they're all um, also
0: like kind of marginal Anglo's. Like, non, <laughs> none of the actors are from the UK, Canada, the United States, Australia.
1: Oh, interesting. They're all like yeah. Irish
0: or Guatemalan or something. <laughs>
1: uh yeah. No, it's it's so it's so good. I like it so much. I actually have um man, if we did want to turn in the direction of, of becoming reaction YouTubers, uh I you just said I they used to like film film YouTubers. Yeah, 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 that's fine. We'll just do that. Uh, no, but I actually did watch a little while ago a video essay about Ex Machina that I really right. disagreed with. So I, could, uh, so I, I actually – we actually could do something there. It was by uh, Sean Vids. Oh, yeah, yeah, Has, yeah. A, has, a, has an Ex Machina, Ex Machina video. Do you want to um, see this um, rap? Of course I do. Uh, before that, somebody in the chat asked about Kripke. Yeah, I had to read Kripke in grad school. I don't know that I have a lot of interested thoughts about Kripke, but I'll think about it if I ever come up with one. I'll write an essay about it. Now, let's watch the rap.
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna let it kind of play the ancient bit and then pause and then do it that way, so we can commentate ancient. on the amazing discourse present.
1: Okay, sounds good. Were you gonna do a screen share?
0: Oops, I forgot. To, I forgot to do it. Sorry. <laughs> I was just listening to everyone. Uh, I forgot that you you guys need to participate too. Let's uh, let's let's go again. <laughs> there
1: we go. School
0: of sad decided what's the whole thing. You didn't say anything. Rock <laughs> and
3: Life is suffering, and through the centuries, suffering is all Asians did. But in Greece, intellectual chimpanzees were putting things in order. Thales put his banana down and said everything's water, which is dumb. But to tie it all together is what he tried. It's not water, it's fire, said the nigga Heraclitus, and that's the kind of shit that occupied the Athenians, tying everything
0: together. It's called
3: integration. Pythagoras said everything is numbers in a theorem, but there's more to life than numbers, so no one wanted to hear 'em. Zeno said there's no such thing as change debate or dialectic when there was democracy there was democritic. he was wrong about some shit but still they call him dad of science does the end justify the means for kiss it, yeah but tell that to someone dying for someone else's idea and that's the fate of socrates convicted for corrupting little boys
0: that's the, the real objectivist thesis from the start that you should thank Aristotle for the fact that you have an iPhone.
1: Yeah. I was just wondering about the connection there. That's uh, not obvious to me
0: because he invented science and rationalism and empiricism before oh, okay. Aristotle. No one had ever looked at the world to try and find out stuff.
1: <laughs> okay. They,
0: they were all just uh, plain saying it wasn't real.
1: I see. I see. Um, yeah no this i mean so that's um you know like to to use a very kripke example here in the possible world where uh aristotle died you know was like killed by a plague as, as a child uh like in that in the objectivist raps point of view uh in that world uh we, we don't have iphones
0: we we wouldn't be streaming then
1: okay all right well
0: that yeah, goes. we just be talking to each other Anybody did back when the words were uttered Nobody gave a fuck Yeah, fuck what he was saying They was busy eating Europe Wrestling naked, being gay Like Epicurus told them Avoid all pain The Stoics were like Nah, too much
3: pleasure is vain They said be serious Focus on what you're doing But they also pushed away the happiness worth pursuing And the skeptic Ancient neck, beard, big They said you can't know shit Wrong then Gay now As time passed, Plato's influence increased Philo brought him to the Jews Enter Christianity Augustine cemented Plato dark ages and poor aristotle okay. dismissed okay.
1: in his day no one gave a fuck about his gen- so one this, this guy seems to be very concerned with who with who is gay which is like one way i suppose of look at the history of philosophy um but i
0: was gonna say he's just doing it because he can't say the n-word but i remember he did just say it earlier. no he
1: said the n-word like five times earlier <laughs> I mean, not the hard R, but even so. Uh, But but also, um, is this, like, the more serious issue here is, is this a version of the history of philosophy where, like, the the medievals didn't like Aristotle? Mm
0: -mm. Well, it's kind of... In this version, which is the Randian idea, no one liked him in antiquity and late antiquity, until well, it's coming on to now. Who okay. revives Aristotle? Is the is the next verse? Uh,
1: well, let's let's listen to just the next verse, but then I want to pause on this because this is odd. And it
3: was cast away, and he had his fucking name forgotten by a world that shit on him until he was discovered by a Muslim. Muslim. Al Mamun translated him from Greek and began a golden arrow when religion let you think. Rejected by this guy Al Ghazali, which is probably
0: why Islam today is not too fucking jolly. So okay. the, the, the Arabs brought him back for a little bit and then they were base and cool. Uh and then and then they turned into Hamas.
1: Because okay because Aristotle. Aristotle. Yeah, that sounds plausible. Um I'm still very confused about how Plato taught the Christians and Muslims not to reason that doesn't sound like plato uh
0: yeah it's well i guess it's 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 because you're not allowed to in this fake version of plato you're not allowed to talk about the real world and so then instead we understand the real world through faith and god sure why not it's one that I've been so shocked by this, but I've heard this bullshit history of philosophy so often by people online that it just doesn't faze me at all. I I'm
1: just I, This is actually a little bit new to me. Uh, this is that, like, Plato, of all people, doesn't want you to reason? That's uh, That that seems very, very weird. He decided try to
3: mix faith and reason was retarded, so he threw the precious work of Aristotle in the was over and departed but in europe tom aquinas was like, i'm just getting started he learned of aristotle from this jewish guy maimonides and he got it from a muslim of eroe it's ever these three religions found common ground in placing reason over faith living here and now the sound of reason cut the silence of the middle ages as pages filled with logic scrutinizing god himself and the changes made some clergy nervous but it was too late because the dumbest shit they ever did was let the artist paint human beauty was depicted love and sex celebrate life on earth is
0: this kind of um, thing was taken up by this kind of poor history of philosophy, this popular history of philosophy, um, because the the guy who came up with the the empiricist versus rationalist distinction was Kant, right? <laughs> he was the devil?
1: Yeah, yeah, so it's, the, it's it's confusing. Um, it, it's also the idea that Descartes was saying that you shouldn't trust your senses. It, it's like that. Literally, like you didn't finish the book, right? Like no, no. I mean,
0: that's that's the the so common online is for people to ask, well, Descartes said that we can't know anything apart from that we exist. So how do we go from there? And it's like, well, he tells you in the book.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, the whole thing is that the you're doing methodological skepticism. You're you know questioning. Yeah, no, people think
0: he's an actual skeptic.
1: Yeah, like the the whole point of the book is to show why, in fact, why and how, and what extent you actually can trust your senses, and you know you can, you know, should believe in the external world, and for that matter, God and the immortal soul, and uh, so so yeah, just just saying, saying that, okay, that that actually really hurts, just just as somebody who, like has spent a lot of time going over this with intro students. The, okay, the, the, well, the, it, again, it it very, very hurts important. also. Uh, philosophy aside uh, just on an aesthetic level uh, that like that thing that he was doing just now where he kept ending verses with and shit like just seemed really lazy
0: yeah and I mean he's completely like offbeat wrong number of, of syllables like the, the beat is the most basic thing in the world um, maybe player was right and we should have banned music
3: It's when philosophy became thought philosophy was for him. it didn't help philosophy to spare itself the damage So is talking about our true nobility is savage philosophers of body versus philosophers of mind all misguided but the truth is that the truth they tried to find see they all respected reason they each wanted to have it then Kant said reason reason is a faggot he modernized plato's world of forms from that is what kant Wait, it was now laying the blueprints for a tarnished Nietzsche, love power.
1: Wait, Mark said what now?
0: That reality depended on how close you were to a factory.
1: Yeah, it's definitely remember Mark said that.
0: I mean that that the
1: <laughs>
0: Kant said reason is um
1: Yes. Uh,
0: I, I mean I guess I mean I don't know why I say it, I can't say it as if as if it has it isn't already in our YouTube video being said.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, well, I, I, no
0: need I, to say it again. Uh, yeah, but that yeah, is Pure I, kind I, of online randianism.
1: Yeah, that is definitely what Kant said about reason. That's that's right, uh, famously. Um, yeah. That, <sighs> so <laughs> the, <laughs> sorry, I'm still I'm still thinking uh, like. All right, so
0: can we see that really terrible graphic he had for Mark?
1: People found out, like when, I'm wondering what like, the Enlightenment, three... the Scientific Revolution, uh, and everything all happened because the Medievals found out about Aristotle. If they, you know, if, if Aristotle's writings had been lost, you know, presumably none of that would have happened. Uh, and also, don't think too hard about the timeline uh, of uh, of all of this, but. Marx said reality depends on how close you are to a factory that like what
0: I, yeah I don't even really know what it means this is the one where I'm like yeah I'm not really sure
1: yeah I, I mean I guess the idea is that he thinks that Marx is like a relativist to
0: who... like a lived experience this guy
1: yeah it's uh I don't okay well whatever however much of Descartes he read he let he read less. book Mar- i'm sure this
0: video involved no reading
3: darkness it was now laying the blueprints for a target shit nietzsche love power and strength but it's not reaching or a stretch saying he inspired nazis superman something that nietzsche gave us When the Germans came, no one saw the fucking danger. Royce and his boys turned to Hegel for the basics. Dewey said your mind doesn't learn shit, it creates it. Students went to Germany, brought you back and spread it. Which is why today's smartest, most retarded shit on Reddit. No reason to reason now that nothing could be known. Pragmatism said take action and follow your emotion. Kids trained to have coherence of a mental patient. This was the birth of progressive education. Integration no longer required.
0: will judge
1: yeah that was uh, so much going on in those last couple of minutes um... it,
0: it, this is this bit was especially funny because if you this is it's obviously probably not true in other people's end but I imagine it's relative high up there if you type his thing into Google with lyrics the name and the lyrics the second result for me anyway was me saying that he <laughs> was bad on Reddit.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that was, that was really something I, I liked. Um, this is so. <laughs> I'm just so confused about so much of this.
0: Um, Are you ready to have history judge you? For not like, I the guess.
1: Government. Yeah. Do you like the bit
0: where like uh, postmodernism is is due to people bringing Kant to America, which yeah only happened in like 1950
1: seemingly. I guess that is the that. No, was the well, first well, I mean, look,
0: look, I, I, I,
1: to be fair. Uh, People bring Kant to America therefore post-modernism is a much shorter time scale than uh, than Aquinas found out about Aristotle therefore the scientific Revolution.
0: yeah yeah true true. true.
1: So you know if, if we're grading by a curve of other claims made in this video I guess I guess that one is uh, that one is basically okay. Um, also curious how much of Tom Paine's politics uh guy knows about uh read your your Harvey JK um, he was a was, freedom guy believed
0: uh, in freedom Ben freedom 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 yeah
1: yes uh <laughs> you yep. like guns uh, and
0: big trucks and hamburgers
1: yeah and also one of the earliest advocates of something like a welfare state <laughs> but uh, but yeah that's uh this is this is amazing <laughs> um I love this
0: it just shows a child and then it's like progressive education, and then he's dead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh oh yeah. god! Uh, awesome. Postmodernism said your mind could retire, claiming their shit is legit.
0: Oh, it, it had the triggered woman.
1: Oh, yeah, right. You know, I did not even remember what the... There was so much that just went by there. Okay, <laughs> social justice is morality. Is, sure. this,
0: is this the Kemarug? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he's showing an image of the Cambodian genocide.
1: Yeah. Which came about because people thought that social justice is morality. It's
0: because they were Kantians, Ben.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh awesome.
0: Stunning and brave.
1: Oh yeah, John oh, Rawls yes, John really I totally forgot about that. Um Yeah, John Rawls does not say <laughs> the <laughs> Like, you know, John Rawls thinks that the you know that uh economic distribution you know it's good for it to be egalitarian except we need it not to be for the sake of incentives but also makes a big deal of saying that like justice you know shouldn't like be so all-encompassing it doesn't leave room for people to pursue their own individual life plans um which is you know which is like actually maybe just worth taking a beat on since this is this is like the this is the basic thing. How, with, how many views do you think uh, this video has? A trillion? How many? Oh, I
0: said like 2.4 million. Yeah, 2.4 million. The, the shocking thing is that it was made in 2018 and not like a decade earlier.
1: Yeah. Uh. Like, like, but, but this is we, the we thing watch with,
0: Plato versus Aristotle rap, Al.
1: Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, This is the thing that, like... Rand herself did and she trained all of her followers to do to this day which is that uh the entire previous history of philosophy has to be um like it's not just that like she doesn't understand very much about like what or ever said and like she gets a lot of stuff wrong although that's also true it's that the entire history of like moral philosophy other than her and aristotle has to be people being altruists in a sense that like basically nobody actually is that, you know, you, um, that, um, that, you know, only other people's interests count and, and, you know, and and you're just sort of not allowed to, to live your life at all. And, uh, you know, you're supposed to be a hundred percent self-sacrificing, you know, all the time. And, uh, uh, and anything that's done out of self-sacrifice is noble and anything that's done for you is evil, you know, and, and it's like, um you know, there are uh maybe some strains of some religious traditions that come somewhere close to there, although um although even there, right, there's there's generally a, a sort of belief in, you know, that like it's good to develop your God-given talents and all of that. But um but you know, as as far as like secular moral philosophy, absolutely nothing bears any sort of relationship to this at all, right? Like nobody says anything like that. Uh, but you know, but she, but it, it has to be because, you know, cause you start to like, like find out what somebody like Rawls actually thinks and you might be like, oh, okay, well that actually does seem like a reasonable way of balancing my interests with everybody else's, uh, interests. Uh, you know, so it's, it's much the, the, uh, the virtue of selfishness stuff goes down much easier if the only options are that or some sort of like absolutely ridiculous, super altruist straw man.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was funny in this video, it clearly portrayed everyone that isn't Aristotle and An Rand as not just kind of wrong, but like actively retrograding human progress in such a constant way <laughs> that it's unclear how we ever got anywhere.
1: Yeah. Right. Uh <laughs> Because especially because it's like well hold on does there uh yeah the the connection that fascinates me most here is the is the Aristotle therefore like science and you know now and uh and modernity part.
0: Ben is lagging out.
1: Yeah. To you know, so take this figure that the medievals were obsessed with.
0: You're lagging.
1: Well, uh, maybe we should should take this as a moment to to, to end the uh, end the video.
0: <laughs> to end. Rip. Brennan's frozen. All is death. Let me look for the outro. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah I was gonna so. say this is probably a good time to Hello? end while we still have a connection. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Bye, everyone.